Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com and find them at FDIC at booth 2540. This podcast is brought to you by Flex 7 from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash Flex 7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced Technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Since 1972, Braun Industries has been a custom ambulance manufacturer focused on safety, quality, and innovation. Each Braun module is unique well beyond the chassis it's built on. With six ambulance models, limitless features, and all customizable options, let Braun assist you in designing the perfect custom ambulance to suit your needs. Learn more at www.braunambulances.com. Good evening and welcome to uh, this episode of Politics and Tactics. I'm here tonight with my co-host, Frank Ritchie. Uh, Our our other co-host, Dave Polikoff, is off on vacation down in Kentucky in the mountains and has no connection uh, or no no cell signal, so he's not joining us this evening. But we do have Dave McGlynn with us as well, so uh, we're glad to have him on board here. I uh, wanted to take a quick moment, kicking off the show here, and welcome, or, uh, and uh, congratulate our Fire Chief Scott Goldstein from Montgomery County, Maryland, on um, his impending retirement and new job out west in Washington State, where he'll be the Fire Chief of Cowlitch Fire Protection District 2 out there. And uh going to uh, miss him and... Uh, Losing a good man who uh, got us through a bunch of stuff, including, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's the hot topic, COVID, uh, got us through that. And uh, every, every appreciative for his leadership and uh, for taking care of us for so long. So uh, in talking about fire chiefs, uh, I wanted to ask um, Frank about the process, because right now there's a, they're going to have to, you know, have a, a process, whether it's a regional process or a national search. They're going to have to uh, find the next fire chief of Montgomery County Fire Rescue. So, I wanted to talk about that process and how political that that is these days, because really, a municipal fire chief is is a uh, is a political head. Sam, absolutely. But one thing you got to kind of look to, and add, uh, Chief Goldstein, I know since he was a rookie firefighter in Montgomery County because I lived in the firehouse that he first worked at or maybe a second assignment, but he, he was a new firefighter back in those days, and, you know, I wish him all the luck. But it's always suspect when a fire department has to hire on the outside for a fire chief. What's wrong with the department? What's wrong with the system that they can't hire somebody from the inside? Why isn't there internal succession planning that they can have a competitive process for firefighters and fire chiefs that went through the ranks? Um, you want to weigh in on that, Dave McGlenn? Yeah, that's a, it's actually an, an interesting thing because I'm dealing with it right now, as you're familiar with. So um, <clears throat> in the department that I work at, our chief uh, recently transferred to a, to a different base, and I work for the, for the military. So he transferred to a different base, and uh, with that, there was an opening for his position, and um, there's uh, an up in the air on who's internally eligible. 
Um, the reason why is because the makeup of our department, we have a deputy chief uh, that would technically be intervening between the assistant chiefs and the fire chief, though um, the deputy chief's, uh, I guess, responsibilities were removed and exclusive to just overseeing training and prevention, uh, exclusively then prevention. So who knows? Um, so, yeah, it, it becomes a frustrating thing because uh, right now where I'm at, uh, we're we're potentially facing – uh, the the possibility of an outside person coming in. So I'll say that there's, with everything, there's a flip side to everything, right? So uh, the, I guess, negative is that I'll agree with you. There needs to be, uh, you need to design a succession plan for your people. You need to create an environment where you are giving the tools, the talents, the abilities, the amenities, the resources, the training, the mentorship, um, to your people internally to try to give them the opportunity to grow in within the organization and, you know, uh, establish that upward mobility, right? The flip side is maybe, it's unfortunate because it's a leadership problem, but maybe uh, things are so out of order, so out of sorts that uh, an outside perspective, that unbiased person coming in, can potentially try to <clears throat> uh, clear the water a little, uh, kind of calm calm the storm a little. So what you're saying is the free market approach of competition sometimes is a good thing, and sometimes you have to go outside, or it, it the can be need but, that perspective to grow. Yes, but it, it, see, here's the the other problem with that is if you're a person that's trying to aspire to be a fire chief to make a difference, you're never going to admire the fruit of your labor. Uh, unfortunately, people that go into those positions from the outside, the reason why they got brought there was because things were so bad internally that um, really they're just setting up the uh, the foundation for the next person to take it over, and then that person's going to get a lot more credit for changes, even though they didn't really make all those uh, sacrifices that the person from the outside had to deal with when they first came in. Sam, you want to weigh in on this? What, what, what's your take on it? Because both arguments have merit. Sometimes going to the outside and letting competition um, kind of run free and let the free market principles you know, dictate the best person for the job should get the job. I, I agree with that. But I think that we can't always go to the outside. We've got to have that plan to try to build our officer staff from the inside. What's your take on that? Because I can see it both ways. Yeah, as can I. And, um, you know, I, I welcome a, a, a nationwide search. And um, I would like to think uh, the, the folks within our organization that, that are going to apply for, for this position, um, they have their ducks in a row. And uh, they're, they're just, um, how, do you, how do you say it? Um, when they when they go in for their interview with the council, let's say uh, just the just the fact that they've been in this you know in this department for at least twenty plus years, uh, they're going to be able to answer questions about Montgomery County, Maryland, uh, far better than a, a candidate from the outside that's just dummied up on Montgomery County, Maryland, you know, from the internet or or you know that kind of thing. Um, Frank, I gotta, what, what is your can I say one thing on that, Frank, real quick? I'm sorry. So sure. I'm totally uh, with you, Sam, on that. So just for an example, uh, I'm not going to leave the, part, the department uh, nameless. I'll just say it. So Baltimore City uh, has an announcement for a fire chief position, and I was reading uh, the, uh, the duties and the description and the job announcement and everything like that. And I don't want to undermine the process, um, but I do want to say that, um, you know, I agree that, that I can see it both sides, but just because somebody has a bachelor's or a master's and CFO or EFO does not necessarily qualify them, though those things are important, um, they don't that doesn't necessarily qualify them to be the person to take on the helm. Now, you know, uh, John, Frank, your chief, is, is a, you know, he's a dear friend of mine. He's, he's, he's a big deal in, in, in from Jersey City. You know, I got family from there. And um, and I know that, you know, he was fortunate to have the team that he had going into New Haven um, because there's a Jersey City mindset that he would bring with him when he went there. And um, and that's the one thing is that, you know, a person can't just Google 
something about the department and be, uh, I guess, you know, technically credential-wise qualified. You know, you need to value the culture and understand the culture because uh, when you're in the fire chief's role and, uh, and, and you're in that, that responsibility, everything lies on you. You know, the old Harry Truman thing, you know, the buck stops here type thing, you know, like, like it really does. And I know that that's some, that stuff's sexy and cliche and on T-shirts, but it really is true. You know, like uh, just because you, you got a bachelor's doesn't mean that you should be the leader of that department. You need to understand the dynamic of that department. So for the listeners, I would just throw out there, any of you who are, who are competing – as an external candidate for these fire chief positions. So there's merit to that. And you, and you may gain a level of success. You know, Lasky got a lot of success when he went down to Louisville and, and John's doing a great job up there in New Haven. You know, I would say that you need to understand, get, marry yourself to the people that are in your organization who are decision makers, who are role players, get with the union. That's one of the best things that John did was get with you, Frank, you know, understand the dynamic, get a feel for the pulse because, People will sniff out that you're not, you know, that you're ingenuine. It's like that, uh, that burn documentary with the Detroit uh, thing where the guy came from like LA County or LA city. And the first thing he does when he gives a press conference is he says, he names the LA city fire department by mistake. It's like, yeah, that's a fumble in words, but bro, like that pays horrible dividends in the fire service. Like you, you need to know the name of the department that you're now the chief of. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, on the education side, you know, the master's degree, the bachelor's degree, those are all things you get, you know, even with the EFO, those are all things you get to open up opportunities so you can accomplish something else. The the degree, while it's an accomplishment, it's there to so that you can do something else. Now, I say that with a grain of salt because Sam Bellani and I, um, both went to college at the same time, but what I really should say is he went to college and I skated by. But the the fact of the matter is education is important, but it's not everything, and to get those degrees are generally to open up other opportunities because a lot of times it's a checkbox. It's whether it's a way to whittle down the applicants without interviewing everybody. And if you talk to human resources professionals around the country, a lot of the degree requirements are, are based off that. It's a way to whittle down the applicant pool. And we even see uh, liberal governors, of, say, of Pennsylvania, uh, taking away some of the degree requirements for some of the state jobs where they found that it hasn't made that big of an impact. So I think school is great, but I think you've got to evaluate the entire person. Um, Sam, in Montgomery County, Maryland, if you come on to the job, is there a reading list? Like, you know what the reading list is going to be for the lieutenant's test, the captain's test, and so on? Or does it change at each test? Yeah, those they can see by, by way of the announcements that are basically, you know, available for anybody to see. We we have a an internal system that, um, you know, kind of guides a candidate through the process, like an electronic process, and uh, the announcement's in there, so you can actually go in there and look. Uh, it tells you if you're eligible or not, so you see what it is. You can look at the, you can look at the advertisement for it. So, yeah, um, and really the, the big reading list uh, hit for us is our master firefighter and lieutenant ranks. They have a reading list. Um, captain, battalion chief, they are, are assessment centers. Assistant chief is an interview. So the, the the big reading list that you get hit with in your career in our department is right there when you become a leader. And I, I think it's pretty good. Um, and usually, that, you know, it's a, lot of, it's a lot of – can that, can that reading list ahead. change? Like you take the lieutenant test this year, and then five years from now, you go to take another lieutenant's test. Is it the identical reading list, or does it completely change? It um, it changes. I don't think it completely changes. Like there's some core books that are in there, and uh, but they're they've had some really interesting ones that I I've yet to get my eyes on. But uh, there's a Coast Guard leadership book that was in the reading list that a lot of the folks, uh, a lot of the young officers I know that are you know they're just now getting promoted. They went through that process. They said that was pretty uh, beneficial stuff. Um, 
But yeah, uh, hey, back to back to old Harvard on the pike, man. Those were some good times. You you remember seeing Goldie? You took some classes with Goldie, didn't you? I think so. I wasn't in college very much, you know. I kind of just peered in on your papers here and there, but uh, I w- I wasn't the, the really studious back then, as you know. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. Hey, it was all about all about the fuego, bro. <laughs> it was all- but it but was the look, best, man, living in the firehouse was one of the best experiences of my life. Even oh, being absolutely. In college living, I didn't do really good in the college part. Being able to live in Montgomery County was one of the best things. Dave McGlenn, for the military or for other places that you work, have you seen, you know, I don't want to say anything's in stone. There's got to be flexibility. But have you seen where the reading list is, you know, pretty much set that you come in and you're like, okay, this is pretty much going to be the books I need to know for lieutenant. These are the books for captain, all the way up to deputy chief. Or does it change even in the military? No, it changes. So, um, yeah, it changes. So, uh, unfortunately, not a lot of people um, have utilized that. It's been mostly based off of credentials. So, you know, if you were going to be a lieutenant, you needed to have like fire officer one and and uh, instructor one and and inspector one and. And then to be a captain, uh, you would have to have officer two and hazmat IC and stuff like that. A lot of departments have been um, encouraging a reading list. So one of the things that we're doing in uh, in my organization is we have some some young up and comers, and uh, and and you know I, I feel bad for them because the competition is there because they're all great. So um, the ones that have come to me with an interest of becoming an actor. Uh, which means that you know they would they would ride the front seat in the absence of a, a captain or a company officer, and uh, they would you know fill those the, that role and uh, those have those responsibilities for the shift. So I have been giving them uh, some reading list stuff. Um, you know, one of them just not not plugging you because you're on the call. I was just telling you this the other day. You know, I I, I added um, you know some stuff just from your book just because I just got it. So it's fresh material that they can look at and uh, and it'll help them, you know, be able to, to navigate through some stuff and prepare them. So, no, unfortunately, there's no requirement. However, um, some departments are preferencing outside of the uh, OPM, which is Office of uh, Personnel Management. So outside of the OPM regulations, um, some departments have the ability to have their human resources sign off on uh, – I guess the way they rank their their candidates uh, based off of extra uh, credentials and criteria. So that being like that they're credentialed, that they have a degree, um, you know, and uh, and then like I said, you know, internally they could uh, assign some some reading list material to to some future candidates uh, that they're trying to. I don't want to use the word groom because that you can fall into that trap of uh, uh, I guess um, pre-selection but that you're trying to just give the opportunity to prepare them for what it's like. You know, just because you took Officer 2, there's a lot more to it than that. You know, just like the book that I'm writing, you know, you know, Frank, like it's more to than just having Instructor 2 or Instructor 3 if you want to be a training officer in your organization. You're going to deal with a lot of crap, and a lot of that is egos and, you know, the sniffing each other's butts thing. So any way that we can try to prepare our folks for that, you know, when they run into union issues and stuff like that, you know, they they that they don't learn that just in taking a fire officer two class. So, no, absolutely. But I like the fact that they are giving kind of that ladder to say, hey, we were looking for somebody to be fire officer one, fire officer two, instructor two, and Montgomery, Sam, Montgomery County, Maryland. When I was there, and I thought this was really good on the college level, is they wanted you to have a certain number of college credits when you took the lieutenant's test and a certain number when you became captain. And I thought that provided kind of a ladder so that people said, hey, if I want to be a lieutenant, i got to start taking some college classes. And I thought that was really beneficial for the department to provide that guidance. Is that still going on in Montgomery County? It is. And, and don't quote me, but I think it's like 30, 60, 90. So 30 for lieutenant, 60 for captain, 90 for battalion chief, bachelor's for assistant and masters for division and up. I'm not hundred percent sure on that. It may have changed recently, but, uh, but yeah, so that's, that, that stuff's, that stuff's in place. Um, and I think it works pretty well, you know, and, and especially because we have, 
think about how young our departments are. So I, I, it, it blows my mind. On, on the fire ground recently, I look around and how many baby faces have white helmets on. Um, and they're all squared away dudes. They're, 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 they're kicking butt and, uh, they're doing the right thing. And, and girls. But, but it's like, yes, and yes, guys, men and women. Yes, absolutely. And, um, they're, they're out there, you know, they're out there kicking butt. Well, we have this, we have this opportunity because that, you know, young department, young officers, they're, they might, they might have just gotten hired. Now they're taking community college at night. Um, that kind of thing, going to school part-time, by the time they get their 30 credits, they're, they're also maybe preparing for the first promotion and continuing on that way, you know. So it's, it's, I think it allows the person to pace themselves if that's the way they want to approach it. And, and I think that's kind of cool. When I was there, if I remember correctly, though, for lieutenant, it was like 15 college credits, and now you can see, now you're saying it's like 30, so they really have bolstered that up. But it, it really gave, it incentivized, good behavior to kind of stay in the books. Um, something, and I know I mentioned this on the, on the show before, but, but I want to mention it again because I'm going to contrast. Now, New Haven is a very liberal city, as we all know. Yale's there. Um, I, I want to contrast New Haven's reading list for lieutenant with Seattle's reading list for lieutenant, and I want you to tell me if we're going a little off track here. So one of the things I was proud of that John Alston, as he was the chief, that I was the union president, that we embarked on, and Mark Mendetto, Justin McCarthy, a lot of people had their hands in this. But we got together with management, and we said, well, we're, we want the very best for the job. But the goal is to diversify, but merit has to be number one. So if we want people to know the answers and do well on a call and well for the organization, doesn't it make sense that we kind of give them a ladder, kind of a roadmap, I think, would be the better way of putting it, is a roadmap for success of, hey, you could start when you're a firefighter essentially reading the books that are going to be on a lieutenant's test or captain's test or battalion chief's test. We did it all the way up to deputy. And what we did was if the addition of the book changed within seven months of the test, you would go after, you would go the new edition. So, for example, on the lieutenant's test, Fire Officer's Handbook of Tactics by John Norman, the fourth edition is on the lieutenant's test. If that edition went to the fifth edition and it was seven months before the exam, the new book is on the test. If, say, we're four months before the exam or, or right at that six-month line before the test and the book changes, then the, the candidate knows that they're going to be tested on the fourth edition. They don't got to go out and buy the new book. And so the reading list for lieutenant is the Fire Officer's Handbook and Tactics, fourth edition, John Norman, the Art of Reading Buildings, and that's kind of the Art of Reading Smoke. You've got John Mittendorf and Dobson, both fire engineering books. And then, of course, you have a supervisory book, Effective Supervisory Practices, fifth edition. You know, being an officer, you have to deal with human resources issues issues, and then you have It's This Company Officer 5th Edition. So you have five books, and that goes along with the department's standard operating guidelines and the rule book. And then it gets a little bit deeper as you go to Captain Yadon, Hazardous Material by uh, Gregory Knoll and Hildebrand, and then it keeps going up. The Italian Chiefs, you've got the Fire Chiefs Handbook added to the list. So the books keep add on that base of knowledge. And what we said is, hey, Chief, Either side wants to change the book for the test, we got to do it at least six months before, and the union and management got to agree. So I think this is a really good common sense policy for reading lists. And do, do any of you have any objections to the, the books or the reading lists that I just gave out? Do, do they all make sense based on the skills, knowledge, and ability you would need for a lieutenant or a captain and vice versa? Uh, I'll go to Dave McGlenn first. No, I agree. Um, you know, I, you know that uh, about me personally. I'm, I'm a huge advocate for that type of stuff. Uh, one of the things that I say, not to, to plug fire engineering, just uh, you know, one of the things that I, I I appreciate about them is a lot of their books are, um, you know, people coming with other levels of experience and telling a story, and you can't get that type of experienced uh, education from just reading, you know, certain manuals 
Um, you need to read books, and uh, they don't have to necessarily just be fire service books. You know, like Sam, like you said about the, you know, uh, Montgomery's doing the uh, the Coast Guard book now. I think that's awesome. You know, one of the books that I have on my desk that I've read is called uh, Three Meter Leadership, or the Three Meter Zone, and it's a leadership book written by NCOs in every branch of the military. And I've gotten a lot more information out of that uh, that has uh, helped me in the fire service um, than I have just from fire service books. So, yeah, there's a huge merit to that. There should be, I don't want to say pigeonhole it and say there's a requirement to specific books or chapters. That needs to evolve um, just like we do. But that information is key. And, uh, you know, even if there isn't a requirement, I think that people would be foolish not to learn those type of things, you know, to read and, and brush up on those type of things so they understand what it is that they're actually getting themselves involved with. Dave, I think that's a great point, especially, you know, hearing a story that really kind of shows us our shared purpose. It shows us that we all deal with similar types of things and really drives home what the author wants to say. And John Norman does a great, great job in that. Sam Bellani will know this name, but John Kay is a sergeant in Detroit. Um, I think I borrowed and dog-eared, I think it was the first book I probably ever actually read, was The Fire Officer's Handbook by John Norman. So I think that was very good. Sam, did you hear anything on these, this book list that, that would kind of make your, your spider senses go up and say something's wrong here? What? Uh, no, uh, clue me in. Are you, are you talking about uh, command presence? No, no, no. That's I was just good, talking about a, the reading list thing. I gave you. I gave you from uh, New Haven. Um, let me let me contrast oh. this with with Seattle's reading list. I'm going to read you the books on Seattle's li- reading list. Okay, so the big picture. This is for lieutenant staff. The big picture approach to personnel issues. You need one or two books on personnel issues. I, I honestly believe that, along with your SOGs and your, and your rule book. So, okay, so we got what Dave, I want you to take – Dave, you're probably the only one – well, Sam can too. Sam, you were the teacher, so I want you to count the management books here. So that's one, okay? Now we go to the other one. Leader's Guide to Unconscious Bias, How to Reframe Bias, Culture Connections, Create High-Performance Teams. Okay, so, that, so that's two, and this isn't – this isn't chapters. They're saying for that, they want you to read the whole book. Then you got The Art of Reading Buildings, which is a tactic book from Fire Engineering and a size of book. I think that's good. You got, then you got Both Sides of the Fire Line, a memoir of a transgender firefighter. And they want the lieutenant candidate to read all of that. So maybe this goes under Human Resources. So that's the third book. Okay, then we got Critical Conversations, Tools for Talking When the Stakes Are High. Uh, they got a couple different chapters in there. Then they got, so that's another one. Then we got Emergency Care and Transportation of the Sick and Injured. Okay. We got the Emergency Guidebook listed here. We got a book, um, Firefighting, or Fighting Fire. Um, I'm real curious to see what this book is, is about. It's by Caroline Paul. I've never heard of the book before, but they want you to read all. Then they got... Fire and Emergency Services, Company Officer, IFSA's edition. There's a lot of books on here for a lieutenant's test. Then they got the Fire Safety Academy for UL. They actually go through the modules. Okay, that has some merit. Now you got another book here, How to Be an Anti-Racist, the first edition by Kendi. And then you got the union contract, you got the memos, and you got outline of the command jobs, Seattle Fire Department and policies. This, to me, and both of you are currently on the job, so if you don't want to comment at all, I completely respect that and have no issue with it. But this seems like adult indoctrination, that it's not about getting the lieutenant to read one or two management books so that they treat everybody with respect, which I'm 100% for. And I don't think anybody's, and in my book is perfectly clear, nobody's rights should ever be violated. It's, it's actually one of your jobs as a fire officer to protect the rights. You've got to remember, as a fire officer and a fire, you're actually part of the executive branch of government. So as a government official, you should never violate anybody's rights. But to me, this reading list out of Seattle reads to me like they're trying to put forth 
a progressive agenda that goes beyond the skills, knowledge, and abilities that we're looking for a fire officer. If either one of you care to, I'll go to Dave McGlenn first. And again, if you just want to pass on this one, I'm okay with it. I completely understand. Dave McGlenn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was hoping Sam went first. No, we're good. Um, Sam so, says pass. Sam right. <laughs> nice, thanks. That's the beautiful thing about politics and tactics. We're okay with a pass every now and then. Right, right, right. <laughs> no, so I am on a job, but, uh, you know, I mean, anybody who knows me knows that, um, you know, I I, um, I share my opinion, but I, 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 I don't mean to sound, I guess, ignorant or uh, arrogant when I say this, but I, I, I will always ensure that I support it with facts uh just because I don't argue just for the sake of arguing. So uh, in the tactic of um, leadership and also in, in, in teaching people, you know, you, you knock them down and then build them up. So I'm going to kind of ebb and flow here. I'm going to, I'm going to knock down first, but then I'll, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate and build up. So <clears throat> the first thing I'm going to say is, um, you know, the, the, the topic of the show politics and then tactics, right? So um, the reading list, actually goes along with kind of the name of your show, Politics and Tactics, which is great. Um, but I'll say this. So politics, right? Um, we sent $80 million to Ukraine. Um, Russia and China are sitting there, uh, you know, breaking bread and having lunch with each other. Uh, and the president is under, our foreign president is under indictment for uh, paying somebody off because uh, I guess we forgot about the Paula Jones thing when the guy that was the Arkansas governor spent $850,000 in the 80s while he was the governor to pay somebody hush money. I, I, you know, I don't know where he got the money, but good for him. Um, so, you know, uh, this is a buzzword. Uh, I hate to, to dismiss it. It's real. It's happening. Um, it's a buzzword. It's a diversion. Um, you know, it's like the weapons of mass destruction thing. Uh, you know, everybody all of a sudden started talking about gays in the military and gay marriage. It was a diversion. It has nothing to do with anything. Uh, I think that... Wait, so Dave McGlenn, first off, first off, you're telling us that politicians lie? Yeah, well, I think that goes without saying. But anyway, um, I'll say that I, I think that, uh, I, I say unfortunately because um, I, I, I feel like we're buying into uh, a forced narrative with stuff. Um, but, however... Uh, fire service. We're in the business of dealing with lives and property, and no one's life is different. It doesn't matter uh, color, creed, gender, transgender, uh, you know, uh, whatever, uh, you know, if, if you're a, um, a cis or whatever it is, person, whatever. We're going to help you uh, whenever you are in a time of need because that's what we do. So um, I applaud. Dave, we're not just going to help you. Dave, 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 we're not just going to help you whether you're homeless or the mayor. There's not a right. firefighter that I know that can do the job that wouldn't make their wife or husband a widow and their kids orphan for the community right. we serve. So I think the right. fire department, when it comes to valuing life, we value all life. And I think that's what you're trying yeah, to say. I, Is that correct? And that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, it's 100% what I'm saying. That's where I'm going with that. Is like, I kind of... I would say that Seattle uh, is smart in a sense. Uh, I, I agree with you with the kind of forced progressive uh, narrative, but at the same token, this is happening. And it's like the lithium bat ion battery thing, right? So whether we like it or not, we still have to respond Hold to it, on, right? Dave. So there's not 10 books on lithium batteries on their lithium. No, I know. That is odd. That is odd. I was, gonna, I was actually going to point that out. But, but hear me out. So, so I think that, um, you know, in in this progressive world uh, that we that we're, in, we're 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 encountering, right? As stewards of the fire service, as stewards of the community, uh, it is somewhat beneficial, um, and that's where I play devil's advocate to prepare people for that, because uh, you know we're finding uh, this in our fire service, and it is it also in the people that we respond to uh, for emergencies. Now, before you say anything, I'm, I'm putting you on speaker because I got to pull this up so I get it right. So I'm going to say. Two things. So one, at some stage, the human species will divide, whilst most will continue to evolve. A minority of those lacking the intellectual capacity of thought will develop a subspecies, being easily led, form into packs attempting to control the majority. They will deny biology, 
attempt to undo the centuries of human development by rewriting history and gradually revert to their primate origins. They will expect all to conform to their point of view without question. Charles Darwin said that. Okay, that dude's been dead for years. And now I will go back to one last part. Chapter 10, page 255 of Command Presence. Reconciling the past. We fail as a society when we attempt to view the past through present-day constructs. The past should be evaluated from different perspectives to be better understood or to better understand it, learn from it, but do not distort it to fit a political narrative. Likewise, you cannot view the past through the constructs of modern-day thinking. It is unfair to judge the past through the moral standards and values of today. And you wrote that, Frank. So I agree with that wholeheartedly. Oh, my and God. I that maybe, <laughs> and I think that maybe hey, Sam, that Sam, should wait, be something that you should reach Dave, out to some of your contacts Dave, in Seattle and tell them to read that. Wait, Dave, Sam, bravo, Sam. man. That was, <laughs> the, that was the smoothest uh, transition into uh, talking about our book, uh, your, your, your <laughs> book that we were able to help you with. Uh, probably probably the, the best transition in a very long time, man. Bravo. That was awesome. That was awesome. We, we, went, from Char- we went from Charles Darwin to Frank Ritchie. I, I don't, Some I don't great know philosophers there, we'll, man. Yo, I, that was a weak splitter too, with, man. I had, I had not heard that before. And that, that, kind of, that kind of fried my egg a little bit, man. Jeez. Yeah. That's crazy. However, gentlemen, Charles Darwin, Charles Darwin's best quote, and I don't know if it's in my book or not because we threw a lot of quotes in there, and I got some great authors like Dave McGlenn and Sam Bellani in this book, but one of his best quotes is, and I always equate this quote to when we're having conversations about management failing in their job to actually discipline somebody who needs to be disciplined after proper due process by simply just blaming the union. We can't discipline anybody because of the union. And I always thought that was a false argument because management, if they follow proper due process and they're not on a witch hunt or ice fishing for alligators and they're actually not trying to set somebody up or go after this guy because they don't or girl because they don't like them and they're just being arbiters of the facts. They're just looking at the facts. Um, Management actually has most of the cards in a disciplinary situation. But Charles Darwin said that we stop looking for monsters under our bed when we realize the monsters are within us. And I always thought that was very fitting for management because they're always blaming the monster under the bed. They're always blaming the union for getting somebody off who shouldn't get off because management fails to follow their own rules. Sam Bellani, back to you. Yeah, man. Uh, that's, that's a spot-on comment as well, man. I got – look, two out of three ain't bad. Uh, two, two pretty awesome uh, comments, and uh, I'll milk, I'm going to milk toast at home for us now. <laughs> Um, that, yeah, that's, that's, it's crazy. Uh, the whole, the whole enchilada, man. It's, uh, I don't know, this whole Darwin, look, somebody's got to take over. That whole Darwin stuff really did fry my egg, man. Like, <laughs> I need to, I need to hop off of Google real quick. I'll have to, uh, go down the uh, wormhole later. <laughs> bringing intellectual uh, prowess to the conversation here on politics and tactics tonight. Um, that was fantastic, in, 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 in man. Full, that was fantastic. In full, uh, in full disclosure, both of these individuals uh, contributed to the book. Um, Dave contributed to the mentoring chapter, which I think is a really great piece. And Sam and I wrote the size-up chapter together, which I think is a really good, solid chapter. I think it's one of the best chapters on size up because it's not only just about size up, it's also about the human mind and size up. Sam, do you want to talk a little bit about that? I mean kind of we can move that we can move into the kind of the tactic portion or and then, or however you guys want to proceed. Yeah, um Sam. No, or can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Go. Can you guys hear me? Oh, good. Sorry, sorry. Um, yeah, well, you know, our, our 
uh, our chapter was basically bounced off a um, a good size off article that uh, you know you you, you kind of um, got me my wings there uh, being published in Fire Engineering and and, and graciously allowed me to uh, co-write that original article and then you know it was nice to be able to expand it into a uh, into a cohesive chapter. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, you know, from just the very, very simple and I say simple, but, uh, the, the stuff we've known forever, you know, from, uh, Cole, Cole was well forward, um, to the way we kind of do it these days. Uh, I think we did a good job of covering the topic. Absolutely. And, uh, Dave, you might be interested in this. So one of the things that I found when actually before I was a company officer is when a firefighter was in the building, like we, you know, house fire, they're in the house. I would go up to him and I'd say, all right, explain something about the building to me. Give me your size up. And I was amazed at how many firefighters did a really piss-poor job of being able to describe the structure. Like they could tell you how many windows fire was blowing out of, you know, if you had heavy smoke pushing from a corner. They'd get that, but they'd miss, like, everything. And I was like, wait a second, maybe starting at the 13-point size up isn't the way to build firefighters muscle memory on size up. Maybe we got to start off with like a firefighter size up and then keep moving to that 13 point size up that John Norman uh, kind of brought to light from New York City that was expanded. And then Michael Turpak from Jersey City, um, I like his size up where he added terrain, which is in coal as well. So I always say evaluate coal as well plus terrain um, from Turpak's book. But I was like, why is that? And then we started doing some research in it for the article Sam and I came up with, and we came up with a couple of different things, talking to people who just evaluate the mind. At one time, people used to be prey. You, we were prey. So if you're walking down the street and you say you're in a city street and it's quiet, if something moves or makes a noise, your attention is immediately drawn to it. Same as if you're walking in the woods and you hear, you know, that squirrel move or the bear coming after you, you immediately turn your attention to movement. And then we went further into the psychology of if you're in a dark room and somebody puts a pinhole of light in the room, no matter which way you're looking, you're going to immediately focus on that. So we immediately focus on the brightest object, field of vision. So that kind of, those two things right there, historical, prey and focusing on the brightest thing as kind of a threat assessment primal is one of the reasons that the firefighters are seeing movement, seeing the fire, and not seeing everything else. So how we break it down for firefighters is, you know, ask yourself a couple different questions to move focus, to get in that 13-point size up. You know, start off with five things and then kind of build upon it as your career goes. Dave uh, McClendon, you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, I, I actually uh, I agree with that entirely. Um, I think that it's another step that we miss. Again, just in my experience, uh, you know, just from 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 my side of the fire service, we we promote people uh, sometimes, uh, not dismissing them, but based off of uh, the level of credentials uh, and, and certifications, and not off of uh, the experience. So we find ourselves with people that you know they they're gun shy. Uh, talking on the radio, or um, they really don't understand how to give that proper size up. And just from from me, you know, be, you know, from 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 my, uh, I guess, level of expertise as a training officer, having done it for the amount of years that I have, I would say that where we failed was they should have an understanding on how to do that prior to riding that front seat. And like you said, you know, uh, starting with the the firefighter, you know five point assessment. I like that, you know, uh, you know, not, not diving completely into to Norman's or, or using uh Cola's wealth. And then the terrain piece, you know, the Turpac uh, added, you know, uh, gradually getting into those more of like, I hate to use the term because I, I use it all the time, but you know, more of like a crawl, walk, run uh, methodology. And then this way we're preparing our people for success, you know, where, they put the bugles on or trumpets or whatever you want to call it, you know, and put a different color helmet or shield on. And they're not sitting there nervous when they're riding that front seat or they're not sitting there like, oh, shit, when a call comes in, they're afraid that they got to, you know, lead the crew, that they're sound and comfortable because this is something that they've 
worked on and prepared for. You know, you don't become the starter on the football team by just showing up and telling everybody you can pass the ball. You know, you, that's done through practice and proving that you can do that. So uh, not stealing from the conversation, I, 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 one of the things that we are doing literally this month into May is we're going to be taking the crews out uh, a crew at a time, and I'm going to be pulling up on buildings. And um, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give them an address, and I'm going to have them have to find how to get there and, and point out where the hydrants are. And we're going to go to you know one of our private uh, tactical channels that isn't going to be everybody from the county listening to, and they're going to give the arriving conditions and the arriving information that they need to do and I'm going to pass on whatever assignments they need to do. And then when they get out, I'm going to call on each firefighter and ask them a different thing about the building. And I'm not going to allow them to just say, yeah, what he said. Like, no, I want to hear what you would say if you pulled up. Or, you know, we'll do four different buildings because there's four people on the crew. This way they can't steal from each other and have them each give a size up. Um, and, and I feel like everyone will learn from each other in that because, you know, you're, 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 you're being tested, but it's in a, in a controlled and comfortable environment. It's very important because, like I said, we're promoting people that don't understand how to give that size up piece of it or how to talk on a radio. And that makes or breaks the whole trend, you know, the, the rest of the scene. When you get a poor company officer arriving, it's not saying the right information on the radio or not giving the right size up. Everybody else is responding to that. You know, you're painting a picture for the incoming units. So it's very important. Dave, hey, Frank, while we're on the talk. The... Go ahead. Go ahead, Sam. Hey, yeah, while we're on my chapter real quick, I wanted to see you um, talk about trust but verify. I think that's a pretty good um, – lately in my job, uh, trust but verify is like the, the – the overall theme of um, of our incident management plan, and it's been and it, it does work well, um, and we and we talk about it in there. Can, can we talk about that a little bit? Absolutely, without a doubt. Go, go ahead. Well, you know, we have we do have every department has them. Um, you know, if we have incident response plans, SOPs, SOGs, whatever you, whatever your agency calls them, um, we have those. So you know. In absence of anything formal from a command officer, uh, people are jumping into positions already. Um, I'll know, you know, where my first engine and truck are and where my second engine and truck are, and I'll know my third engine um, is checking the lowest level as they're as they're making an alternate entry, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, I'll know all those things, but I'll verify those people are in place, and, and you know, that also gives me the, the opportunity to assign them. Uh, divisions or groups, depending on you know what their mission is. Um, so it 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 works works very well for me. Uh, it helps me um, um, better effectively track my units. I feel like I have a very firm grip on where my people are at any time because um, of trust but verify. So anyway. No, Sam. I think trust but verify also not only goes for your company locations, but for example, uh, Dave, you were talking about your size up is essentially your first impression of what's going on with the building and the location. And that first impression has to be verified. For example, um, you know, are you going to verify, you're going to say what you think the building instruction is, but say you got a taxpayer fire as a battalion chief, I want one of the companies, it may not be the first company, but I want one of the companies that go in to kind of scoot a little to the side of the door pull the ceiling, make sure that when they drop the drop ceiling, there's not another ceiling above that. I, I want them to verify what the building instruction is because, like in New Haven, a two-and-a-half wood could be uh, platform construction, most likely balloon frame, but on the far side, it could also be brace frame. And when that construction is verified, I want somebody to kind of verify what that first impression is. And I also want to say that Sam very well might be a Russian agent because while Trust But Verify was attributed to Ronald Reagan, uh, Ronald Reagan actually got that from a Russian proverb. And, Sam, I'm very suspect of your ties to the Soviet Union. <laughs> I remember you telling me that. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dave McGregor, Reagan, Reagan, no, something Reagan that confirmed that. 
by the way. He confirmed that. He said that he, you know, he, one thing that he learned from his Russian friends was that, and he said it in Russian, and then and then he repeated what it meant in in, in uh, you know, in English. So, yeah, uh, that is a very factual thing that you just said. <clears throat> he he wow. did. Sam's the only one of us that could spell, so Dave actually put it in Russian, and then we put it in English in uh, <laughs> in the chat. <laughs> What, one thing we one thing we one thing we want to point out, um, and I'd be remiss to say it, Dave. You talked about when you give that radio transmission, your initial size up, is you're letting the companies know, you know, basically what they're coming into. And Sam and I wrote about this in the chapter. We want to take this to the next level because if you look at when we learned about, you know, how people learn. 5% lecture, 10% reading, 20% audiovisual, 30% demonstration, 50% discussion, 75% practice, and 90% of what we teach others of how we learn the learning method and retention model is that when we teach size up, we don't want to just say, and I think you're 100% right, you definitely want to let those incoming companies know what's coming on. But if somebody gives a good size up, Going back to the initial beginning of our conversation, when we were talking about the brightest object and your eyes focusing on that, and we're talking about historical threats. If you give a good size up that contains all the different components, you're actually moving focus and you're giving yourself a good size up, and that prevents you from getting focused in on any one issue. Dave McGlenn, weigh in on that? Uh, so exactly. So, you know, size up is uh, is how everything should be approached in life, right? You know, do a thirty thousand uh, foot mark, a bird's eye, the the importance of the three sixty. So yeah, uh, our initial arriving uh, conditions or what you see. Um, so you're painting that picture, right? But so uh, a little piece of history: Bryson Street, Pittsburgh. That's the importance of trust but verify. The importance of doing a thorough, full size up. Um, <clears throat> so we need to teach those things, and that's done through the repetition piece. You know, it's done through, um, you know, the the crawl part where you know, okay, tell me what you see when you get on there. Now, you know, uh, I changed it in the back. There's something else going on in the back, or I'll just throw a monkey wrench in there for you know just a hypothetical. And it's like, well, okay, so now you understand the importance of the 360, right? And um, you know, you understand the 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 trust but verify uh, piece piece of this. Um, but also it's, it's just, it's, it's important for you as, uh, an officer to, to build that mindset because what, what happens is, is as you do that, as you put new eyes on something, you know, you don't just get tunnel vision. You don't just focus on the shiny widget. Like you were saying before, you know, something moves in the background. We get like, you know, the whole squirrel. Um, but you focus and you, but you, you 30, 30,000 foot, you know, you, you bird's eye it, um, and you assess, what happens is, is you start to unlock things that you can compare it to in your brain. You start opening up file cabinets. You start building off of your references that you've trained on or have experienced in. And you can start building a tactical approach as that initial arriving officer just by giving a good assessment uh, of, you know, the initial arriving stages. Absolutely, Dave. And, you know, in full disclosure, I stole this from Anthony Avillo, which is kind of a New Jersey thing because Thomas Edison didn't invent the light bulb, but he did say that he borrowed brilliance and he kept testing it and he improved it. And now everybody credits him with the light bulb. But when I was writing the SOG for New Haven or being a part of it for that matter, um, Avillo gave me, one, the company designation, two, the number of stories, Construction type, occupancy, we added in if other than a dwelling. Conditions, note the most exposed structure. Actions being taken. And seven was additional resources needed. So we tried to get our company officers by SAG to hit those seven things. And we found that if you look at the heat of mind, seven things are easily remembered. And that's why a phone number has seven digits. And then we had the battalion chief go on and expand that size up to include anything missed by the officer. So the 10 things we're looking for the battalion chief to do is establish command, number of stories, building length and width, construction, occupancy, conditions found, 
no most exposed life hazard and exposure. Uh, reassessment of fire commission uh, conditions, all exposures, including the number of stories of construction, number of lines in operations, and additional resources if needed. That's the first do battalion chief thing. And, you know, sometimes they're going to miss one or two of these, but we found that if you kind of put these in practice of, this is what we're looking for the first few company, and if you miss them, the battalion chief's going to kind of throw them onto his or hers, but then they're going to hit, the battalion chief's going to hit 10 things, and then it kind of acts as the signature of the department because there's nothing worse than listening to the radio and every fire is completely different. So in other words, you listen to one officer, they sound completely different. I think that the radio transmission of a fire officer is kind of like the signature of the fire department. Sam Bellani, weigh in on that? Sam, did we lose you? Dave McGlynn, weigh in on that. <laughs> Yeah, while Sam's uh, hopefully getting his bearings together. So, yeah, again, I, I hate to, to start with, I agree with you, but I do. And, and I, uh, while you were saying that, I was kind of just um, uh, spinning my own wheel. So, you know, it's um, for the company officer, just, just going off of that, right? Uh, it's like span of control, five to seven, right? So we can control remembering five to seven steps for our initial assessment so that when you know, the BC or, or the chief officer, whoever it is that's going to arrive as the IC, you know, they, they're maybe expanding on the five to seven you covered, and then they're adding the other one. So they're still within their span of control because they're only adding another three to five because you already covered a few of them. So it's not like they're forgetting steps. So it's important to just kind of approach it or attack it from that mindset is that whole five to seven thing, there's, there's purpose and relativity to that. It's the same as, you know, five to seven steps in your initial arriving assessment, which I think you and I just came up with a new article that we're going to do together. But, <laughs> but you know, that, that just is, you know, it's a, because what happens is, is it, it can, and I'm speaking from empathy here, it can be overwhelming. You can get on that scene, ride in that front seat, and you're like, do I, what do I say? Do I say the right thing? What should I say? You know, or, you know, you don't want to step on somebody else when you do the whole trust but verify. Somebody said this, and you're like, well, I don't want to get on the radio and embarrass them. Or you get the guy that purposely wants to embarrass you and say, well, you said this, and you were wrong. And they say it over the radio because they're a jackass, you know. Um, well, you know, again, that, 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 that hinders the initial you. size up. The initial size up is a general impression. Sam Bellani, mm -hmm. are you back? Yep. Or did you go get popcorn? Yeah, hey, yeah, and I have, a, I have a comment. Hey, sorry for the technical difficulties there. It was an earphone uh, malfunction, so I'm back online. <laughs> Welcome it, back. It to get I'm ear, a mess, man. Earphone malfunction from the radio guy. I've got, look, I'm 48 years old, man. I have a two- and five-year-old, man. I, I mean, I, I, I hope, I, I'm looking for a little empathy. <laughs> but listen, I, I do have a comment, so... Uh, you know, that, those 10 points that the battalion chief has to cover, a lot of that is trust but verify, right? Um, a a lot of that in there, you, you've, you've probably heard on, that, on that, good, that good picture that's been painted, hopefully, by that first arriving company officer. And you think about how valuable it is, and I don't want to beat, beat it to death. Um, I think you both have said a lot of really uh, compelling things about why it's so important. Um, uh, uh, and I lost my train of thought. Hold on. Let me give you a second. I got a question for you. I got a question for you. Yeah. Well, you, let's talk about the few company officer now. You get a new company officer, yeah. brand new. They're asking you as the battalion yep. chief for some advice on their initial radio report. Do you advise them to give their radio report before they get out of the piece? And there's no right or wrong answer here because I've seen it both ways. Or do you tell them, you know, wait until you get out of the piece to give your initial impression um, size up report? What, what's your take on that? So, so our department in, in our incident response plan, our, our on-scene on report, basically our, our size up uh, by the first arriving company is split. Uh, it's an initial on-scene report and then a supplemental unit report. Uh, the initial on-scene report is done uh, prior to departing the CAD, the supplemental unit report is conducted upon the uh, completion of the 360. So you can think about what those things would include. 
um, you know, uh, where are your exposures, uh, what conditions are evident, where's your, where's your basement entrances, there are basement, that kind of stuff. You have people hanging off the balconies in the rear, whatever. So it splits it very handsomely into two different things, and, and the, the young gun company officers in our department really knock it out of the park with it. I'm, I'm very impressed with the fact that uh, when we first were met with it, it was kind of, you know, it was a little intimidating because it's a lot. It's a lot to say, but but it's all important, and um, they've they've developed a pretty good flow of it, and uh, it, it does paint a really good picture. I, I like that. I think that that's that's a really good way to do it. Initial initial report and then your unit report as you're going around. Um, a lot of departments don't have that set up, so they just had the initial size up, and we see some officers, they call that working fire from the, the windshield size up. They get out, and they smell that furnace malfunction in their heart. So I kind of like how, how you said Montgomery County does it. That makes sense. You give a windshield size up, and then you give a unit size up as you're doing your 360. Uh, Dave McGlenn, we're at the witching hour, so you want to weigh in on this? Yeah, I, again, my wheels just turning. I'm just taking notes here. So it just, I like that too, because it, it, you know, it, it kind of just adds to the step of it. You know, I, 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 I want just me personally as an IC, I want my initial arriving officer to give, you know, the, the windshield uh, size up and, uh, and then he can expand on that report as he walks around, you know, um, it's the same as the fire, you know, stages of fire. There's, there's, you know, so the fire changes, the conditions change from uh, before we put water on it to after we put water on it, you know, and flow path and whatnot. So it's the same thing. You know, the condition changes from the arriving, the first arriving officer. And in and in, the, in the fire service in America, you know, there's predominantly volunteer, which is nothing wrong with that. What I'm saying is you're not guaranteed like what we have, you know, with, with me and you and, and, and Sam, you know, we have multiple companies being arriving at first, you know, so we can assign multiple hands to do stuff. For some people, they're showing up with just a couple guys, and and uh, you know it could be one older guy driving and a young kid in the front seat. So, you know, you don't know what other people are going to be coming there. So you're John Wayne in it. So that, those conditions are absolutely going to change, <clears throat> and it's up to you to be able to be comfortable to expand on that, to report on that, to to give those updates before someone else can take the, I guess, official command. Absolutely. Um, I want to give both of you the last word because we're at the 8.30 mark and I'm at my third beer, so we're going to stop before I say something dumb. Um, that's, that's how we do. do and famous, famous story, when we started blog talk, blog talk Radio years and years ago, the very first couple episodes, some guys, I think, like Rick Lasky, they were going like two, three hours. And so Bobby Halton calls me up and goes, hey, Frank, Frank, uh, you know, you don't have to end right at an hour. You can just keep going, I go. Yeah, that may not be good for you or me, Bob. Yeah. He's like, why? <laughs> like, because when I go on the show, I'm usually drinking. <laughs> He's like, okay, keep it at an hour, Frank. Keep it at an right. Hour. I try to do the same so. thing because of you. My first show ever, when they gave me the podcast uh, five years ago, you were my first guest, and you you were like, we're at the witching hour, so I'm gonna get off here. And I was like, okay, I guess I got to try to keep it an hour each time. Except for Rhodes. I had Rhodes on my last show, and he went an hour and 26 minutes, and I didn't stop him. He's the boss. I'm like, yep, go ahead, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right, um, Sam Bellani, last word for the night? Yeah, find our book, Command Presence, uh, written by Frank Ritchie um, with contributions from uh, none other than uh, David McGlynn and Sam Bellani, uh, your, your two other uh, hosts this evening. Hey, I love that, and, you know, like any Frank Ritchie project, I Tom Sawyer the hell out of it. So I got some great contributors to make this a fantastic book, and hopefully when Dave comes back, because Dave is also a contributor, we'll go uh, line by line by the book, chapter by chapter, and we'll kind of cover why you should get this book. But I actually think it's a really good read, and I will say this. It's different than any other leadership book that Fire Engineering ever put out. Dave McGlynn, last word for the night. Yeah, so again, my, my common theme tonight is that I agree with what you just said, and, and I do. I uh, Not because you're my friend and not because you're my mentor, which is beautiful that you have me in the mentor chapter, um, but just uh, it is. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful book. It is uh, not your typical 
uh, leadership book, and and that's a good thing when I say that to people. Um, so I just want to uh, quickly just say this. <clears throat> Mentors must realize that the goal is to build those around us and recognize that this is not a one-way street. Mentors and instructors must expect that while their guidance will have influence over the student, the student will still be their own person. Understand that we're not in the business of trying to make people what we need them to be, but what is the best version of themselves. And that, by the way, was from, from you, Frank, and that's from your book and the chapter that I contributed to in Chapter 2. And I say that to everybody that's listening is, one, definitely buy the book, Command Presence, okay? It's a great book, not because you're Frank, you're my friend and, and my mentor, but because it is a great book. But two, we talked about this a, a few times, you and I, Frank, when we talked about it. And for the listener, I just want you to understand that heavy weighs the crown, and, and the mentor is, is an important piece. And when you're mentoring people, you're trying to make them the best versions of themselves and make them better than you. And that's what I take away from that, what you wrote there, Frank, and that's what I send off to your people, and I appreciate you having me on as, as Phil and Dave. It works out that my, me, me and Polykov have the same first name. <laughs> I, I think it's great you guys have the first name. You are a great Phil and Dave. You're always you're, – I'm going to tell Dave, you are the Phil and Dave from now on. Sam so, um, <laughs> and Dave, thank you very much for a great show. Uh, thanks for Fire Engineering. Thanks for Tinkata. Um, please look us up at the show. Dave and I will both be at the show. Sam has responsibilities, but he will be there next year, hopefully teaching his own class. And uh, But this year, Dave will be there. I'll be there. Please reach out. We'd love to talk to you. I'll be at the bookstore and uh, pick up a copy of Command Presence. And everybody have a great night.